the dissertation is a unique genre of writing. So a lot of people are great writers. They've done a lot of writing of their own in various styles, but the dissertation is unique into itself. It's a piece of writing that is used to prove the worthiness of getting a degree. It is not a book. It's not an article. It's not uh, a business letter. You know, it's not any of those things that people might be more comfortable writing. Hey, folks, and welcome to the Grad School Sucks podcast, the show for academics and graduate students who want to have a non-academic career and move on from academia. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Carlson, and today I have a very unique episode for you. Today, we're talking about dissertations. And as of course you know, the dissertation is the final hurdle between you and that PhD, and 50% of PhD students actually don't finish their PhD ever, and for a lot of them, the dissertation is the obstacle that knocks them off course. Now, personally, I have a fairly neutral stance when it comes to whether or not you should finish your PhD, because I'm primarily interested in your career after grad school, and I think for many people, finishing the PhD won't actually impact their career trajectory as much as they think it will. So I do realize for some the PhD is actually important for their career, and even if it's not, many people do want to finish their PhD before they move on from grad school. And I think this episode is going to be powerful for many of you because it's going to motivate you to keep working on your dissertation and give you some tips and tricks that you can use while you're doing that work. My guests today on the podcast are Dr. Lauren Sanders and Dr. Alan Rhoda. Both of them are dissertation editors, and they co-wrote a book entitled P.H. Dunn, A Professional Dissertation Editor's Guide to Writing Your Doctoral Thesis and Earning Your Ph.D. And currently this book is sitting on Amazon with five stars and almost 50 reviews. And they gave me a PDF copy and I read about two chapters of it that I selectively picked out. And I really enjoyed what they had to say, specifically about the tips on how to develop a writing practice and keep moving forward towards finishing your dissertation. Now, I want to let you know on the forefront that I did not get paid for doing this episode. And before we jump into the episode, I want to hit a specific topic right on the head, and that is getting a dissertation editor. I actually got a dissertation editor to help finish my dissertation. My main motivation for doing so was because my original dissertation project ran into some issues with data collection, where I was basically not getting the amount of data that I needed in order to finish the project on time, and was probably never going to get the amount of data that I needed. So I eventually had to pivot my idea for my dissertation, and that delayed my graduation by about six months or more than what it would have been. While this was going on, I actually started my job as a research scientist, but I came in at a lower pay scale because I hadn't defended my dissertation. And because I was making about one to $2,000 less per month than I would have otherwise, I decided it was worth it to pay a dissertation editor to help me finish that obstacle and push me past into the full role as a research scientist. And actually, I wish I would have paid more for my dissertation editor. Frankly, you get what you pay for, and particularly for those who are on a time crunch or who have other forms of income coming in, I personally think getting a dissertation editor is a great idea, especially if you're focused on that end goal of starting your career. Because again, not being in a job costs you thousands of dollars that you're leaving on the table every month. 
but this is not a sales pitch for their services. This is just me sharing my opinion on what I think is valuable. Before we jump into the interview, I also want to let you know that unfortunately I had some technical difficulty with my audio in this episode. The audio for Lauren and Alan is great, but mine just sounded like garbage and was almost unintelligible. So essentially, I did some clever editing to remove myself from most of the audio for the interview, and so the resulting episode is actually going to sound more like a conversation between Lauren and Alan. And because you won't hear from me very much during the episode, I'm going to lay out the format of our conversation so that when you're listening in the next few minutes, you're going to be able to understand where our conversation is going. So starting off, we talk about their academic journey and how they became dissertation editors. Then we move to what makes dissertations unique and why dissertation editing is such a sought-after service. Next, we talk about the habits of successful dissertation writers and going into what inspired them, Lauren and Alan, to write the book and how it's helpful for readers. Then we discuss common issues that grad students run into that delay the finishing of their dissertation. They point out some favorite parts of the book, share some client stories, and then discuss some parting advice for grad students. Like I said, I think this is a really unique interview, and for those who are currently dissertating or about to start dissertating, I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode. Be sure to check out the episode description for links to everything that we talk about in this episode, including the book. And without further ado, let's get to the show. So my background, I started off undergrad in dance and creative writing, so some pretty ostensibly impractical degrees, which is what led me into grad school. It was, I didn't want to teach. And that was the question I always got with an English degree. So ended up doing my master's in Dublin at Trinity College in Irish literature. And then the same question obviously presented itself. What am I going to do with this? So then I ended up at the University of Denver and I got my PhD in literary studies. And I looked at James Joyce and Virginia Woolf and how both of those writers use gesture and movement in their writing. So that was bringing my dance background full circle. And then from there, as the stipend started to run out, I thought, I think there's got to be an exit point for me here. And that's when I looked for freelance work that I could do anywhere and found a dissertation editor and started as a freelancer and then have been with the company since. I kind of had a similar trajectory. I started undergraduate school as a theater major and realized that if I stayed a theater major, I had to stay in North Carolina a lot longer. I was at Wake Forest. And if I switched to anthropology, I could study abroad over and over again. And so I made a lot of my decisions based around traveling and studying abroad and never looked back. And then I guess after a long time of studying abroad in undergrad, I went and got a master's at Columbia in anthropology. And then at that point, I realized I could get a stipend to read books in a PhD program. And that seemed really cool. So I pivoted to ethnomusicology. Anthropology felt a little too esoteric at Columbia for me, and I I wanted to be grounded in music. And then oddly enough, ended up doing my musical ethnography on instrument building. And so somehow finding a way to get even more grounded in materials and interactions, artisanship. And my research was in Northern India with the 
tabla makers. Tabla is a drum from North India. And I spent two years in India learning to speak Hindi and Urdu and interviewing drum makers and learning how to make drums and talk about it. And it was really a glorious time, all of it. And when I finished that part, I actually worked at the Metropolitan Museum of Art for a couple of years as a postdoctoral fellow in the musical instruments department and got to do research on instruments from India from the 1800s that they had in their collections to think about and write about how music has changed and evolved and what we can learn from those artifacts. And that was pretty fun. And then, you know, at the end of the postdoc phase, I, I got started working with dissertation editor and I was, it was just a side hustle while I was also adjuncting and then quickly realized I didn't need to adjunct. This was going to be my new job. And so I started doing that full time after just a few months of, of launching it. I recruited Lauren, one of the better decisions we've made over the years. And so I was looking for a side hustle as my stipend was running out. And I just met my now husband. He was living in Belfast, finishing his PhD at the time. And so I was looking for something where I could travel back and forth. And then eventually we needed to, as we worked through the immigration process, we needed to travel anywhere but the US and the UK as both of those governments tired of us. So I you know, worked as a freelancer for several years while traveling. And then Alan asked me to come on full time and been around ever since. The dissertation is a unique genre of writing. So a lot of people are great writers. They've done a lot of writing of their own in various styles, but the dissertation is unique into itself. It's a piece of writing that is used to prove the worthiness of getting a degree. It is not a book. It's not an article. It's not uh, a business letter. You know, it's not any of those things that people might be more comfortable writing. And so it has all these hoops and hurdles built into it. And no one usually explains them. And that's, you know, that's one of the driving forces for us writing this book was to kind of lay out, look, these are all the hoops and hurdles you've got to jump through to get through this process. I think it really lends itself to that support because it's an unusual format and it's, and it's very picky about what's included, what's not, and how it's laid out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's this sense, especially among dissertation advisors, that because you understand your research and because you were smart enough to get into grad school, you know how to write this piece of writing. And that, you know, ranges from what is what needs to be included in certain chapters to the final details of, you know, how do you paginate your front matter separately from the rest of the document? And there are so many things, like you mentioned, Alan, that just only take place in this specific genre of writing that you only need to write once and that everyone expects you to just automatically know how to do. And, you know, I think mentioning the sort of ROI of that, there's there's so much work that you need to do as the author in the conceptual, you know, the thinking, the writing, that outsourcing things that are going to take you an inordinate amount of time and that you don't need to do can be really beneficial. I think a a metaphor I like is, you know, if you are the author of a dissertation, it's like you're an architect of this house and you've got a big vision of how everything is going to be. But you might hire a plumber 
to come in and connect some of those pipes. And you don't necessarily need to do that yourself. And the dissertation editor is, you know, we, we check the plumbing. We make sure that every citation is cited and every reference referenced and do a lot of that tedious but necessary work that I, that I think helps authors focus on the bigger and more important issues at hand. A great dissertation is just a completed dissertation. It's not going to be everything you want it to be. So giving yourself permission to write bad drafts of chapters and to you know come up with work that isn't immediately perfect. And I think those that also relatedly have a regular writing practice, you know, similarly those who, you know, free write when they don't know exactly what to say in a chapter. And I kind of attribute my enjoyment of my dissertation writing process to the fact that I had a creative writing background and had that sort of writing practice where I gave myself permission to write absolute nonsense rather than, you know, realizing that every word had to be perfect as I I went. So I think perfectionism is the enemy of success and the habit of free writing is really positive for dissertation writers. And I'd add to that, people who can keep it on the forefront of their minds, it's very easy once you put it down for a few days, for those few days to turn into a few weeks. And then when you pick it up again, it's very daunting to really like you spend the first hour just figuring out where you left off. You know, one of the advices I always give people is change it every day. Even if you've just added a sentence or a few words, but engage with it before you go to sleep, if you haven't yet today, so that it just stays in your mind. And then when you do have that chunk of four hours to focus, you're ready to dive in and and ideas have been percolating while you're driving or exercising or whatever, and, and it's able to like stay present. You know, the big inspiration for the book was realizing that there's so many people out there struggling and we haven't really seen any other guide that really walks through the nuts and bolts of it and balances that with the sort of work-life balance, writing tips, et cetera. So we felt like there was something unique we could offer from our experience working with so many dissertation writers. And we wanted to create something that could reach a larger audience because not everybody is necessarily in a financial position to hire a dissertation editor, but they could still benefit from this level of assistance. A big part of it was, was that. And then... Honestly, it was the book I wish someone had given me when I was starting my PhD. I didn't know what the IRB was until I had to apply for it. Like, how did that, I wasn't, I had already finished my proposal. I was done. And someone was like, oh yeah, now you have to submit to the IRB. Like, what's that? And so having a roadmap, I just wish someone had provided me with a roadmap saying, okay, these are the steps you're going to have to go through. These, this is the process know what to expect at different stages along the way so you can prepare yourself. And that was a big part of it for me was now that I've done that, realizing, okay, I could provide this book for someone else and I wish someone had given it to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be so isolating to work on a PhD and, you know, you might have a cohort who pretends that everything is great and they're not struggling and you might not have access to 
you know, these stories from other people who are going through exactly what you are. And I think there, there tends to be a little bit of a, a dichotomy of those who have stayed in academia and are making it work and pretend that the dissertation was easy because now they've succeeded and they've moved on. And those who have left, who have compartmentalized that part of their life and moved on and work in between those two, we, you know, we're both outside of academia now, but we still read dissertations all day, every day. So I think we had sort of a unique middle point between those two camps of, you know, this is how the dissertation works. This is how you can get through it for whatever ends you're going to move toward next. A lot of students we work with actually are also paying additional tuition. So there's, you think of like the money left on the table for not getting the job that you've got, but then also money you might even be further paying out by having to extend your degree process. And there's nothing, yeah, if you're going to do a dissertation, do it quickly, rip the bandaid off, get it done and move on to the next phase. Yeah. And I think it's fortunate that my advice to somebody who asked me how to finish their dissertation quickly and somebody who asked me how to be happy while working on their dissertation is the same. And it's that you have to treat it as a job that, Mm -hmm. and it's so difficult, you know, with any remote work, especially with a PhD where there's this sort of cult of, I'm thinking about my dissertation all the time. And that makes me a great graduate student because I never give myself a break from it. Uh, You know, that's not conducive to productivity or happiness, I think. So the more you can structure it in whatever way works for you and really set yourself that schedule of this is my part-time job. I work on it now. This is my full-time job, but I clock off at the end of the day whatever that looks like for you. So I think those are the ways to make it a sustainable endeavor while you're in it. But I think that's also the one of the key answers to finishing quickly. Obviously, life happens. And life is messy. And people have a lot of work life commitments that can suddenly come up in their way. But outside of that, in a more like truly academic sense, advisor changes is one that comes up a lot that we hear about. And that that can often set people back several months as like they don't realize that their advisor need they, they need to change soon enough, or it takes them a while to find the new advisor, or the new advisor is now asking them to do something different than the previous advisor was. I would say that one comes up often. And then of course, well gosh, there's so many. But that's one of the biggest sort of existential level ones that I think I hear about a lot. So I thought you were going to jump in, but the other one, the other ones on my mind are the data collection. Sometimes it goes really easy for people and then sometimes they get thrown a curveball. And it sounds like that's what happened to you. We hear that story a lot like, oh, I'm going to set out and do all these surveys and then they just can't get the responses. And then they realize, okay, I need to switch to doing focus group or interviews with a smaller group of people that I can get access to. But now I have to rewrite my first chapter and my methods and learn qualitative analysis, which I hadn't planned on doing. And not necessar- not having a reliable or stable 
uh, source of data is another really big one that can catch people off guard. And so I always encourage people to be to look for that as early on in the process as possible to kind of make sure that they know that they're going to be able to do whatever it is they set out to do. Absolutely. Yeah, and I would say in a abstract sense, losing track of why you want to finish your PhD throughout the process, you know, whether that's by virtue of what you learn about the academic landscape while you're in or, you know, just getting too immersed in the dissertation as a document without thinking about what it's going to do for you in the future, whether that's inside or outside of academia. And I, I think the only reason I was able to finish was because I am a completionist and I had started it and I wanted it done. I wanted it on my shelf. Now, it's currently propping up my computer to get a better video call angle. So it's not doing a lot, but it's done and I'm happy it's done. And I, you know, I wanted the title, I wanted to finish, but I think finding what that is for you, whether that's, whether that's just the finishing it, whether that's the next pay scale, whether that's, you know, a specific goal, keeping track of why you're doing it is the sort of abstract barrier to avoid. And then in a practical sense, I think a lot of people have the impression that once they submit it, then it's done. And then they're really caught off guard by all the hurdles that come up. You defend and then you get a revise and resubmit and then it's another year or all goes great and you defend and you have minor corrections, but then you still have to pass the, you know, the formatting review and get it uploaded to ProQuest and all those final bureaucratic hurdles to jump through catch a lot of people off guard. I forgot to register for the right graduation. So I I was done with everything, but I hadn't signed up for graduation. So I delayed myself several months. So looking ahead to what the final bureaucracy looks like is also a hurdle to avoid. The purpose of the book was to be that book I wish I'd had. And so I'm a very methodical, detail-oriented person. So for me, it was like, all right, let's build this skeleton of what's really important, but then let's flesh it out with these stories and these narratives from our experience that kind of, I think, add the emotional component to some of these pain points and hopefully, you know, provide camaraderie or commiseration at least, you know, as a sense of, of knowing that you're not alone in that issue. There's someone else has, has had that. And I feel like for dissertation writers, there's, a, there's something for everyone in this book. I feel like we've, we, we hit on a lot of the major pain points. And so if someone is struggling with a particular issue, you know, they're going to find some support in there somewhere. And I think that that structure is really, really important. Yeah, I'd say the, all the material about work-life balance and drawing on stories from friends, family, and clients to sort of coalesce some of what I've learned as a remote employee since my PhD, since I didn't have a family while I was finishing my PhD. And I can imagine, but barely, how much more complicated it would have been. So bringing some of that sort of post-PhD knowledge back around to how it it would have applied to the PhD and really just being able to crystallize what are the common threads of what everyone is experiencing with that, that people aren't always talking about. I've had two clients recently that come to mind. One who called and said, my therapist told me 
I should hire a dissertation editor. And I thought that was just a really beautiful use of your resources to to be able to have that conversation with a mental health provider and have that conversation lead to what can you take off your plate here. And then I had a, another conversation with a client who wanted some help updating the numbers in his table of contents, you know, just one of those final finicky details. And, you know, I, I talked him through, I gave him a quote for us to do it. And he came back and said, yeah, yeah, that price is fine, but I feel like I don't deserve the degree if I can't figure this out. And I think that's just a great example of, you know, the inability to let go and this culture we have in grad school sometimes of, I have to be able to do all of this by myself or I don't deserve the (laughs) accolade of this degree. And that I was very upset by that perspective and, you know, had a much longer conversation with him about why that's not the thing that makes you deserve a PhD in the end. So I think that process of letting go of what you can or outsource to make room for the, the time you need to spend on the parts that you have to do as the dissertation writer and the author. It's okay to need help. Use your resources, whether that is the mental health services available to you on campus, whether that's your advisor or another committee member, individuals in your cohort, a dissertation editor, you don't need to do it alone and know and use the resources that are available to you, whatever those look like. Yeah, the you are not alone, I think is probably the most key part as there is this like idea that like the dissertation is this burden that is on my back and my back alone. And I must shoulder this through. And I feel like if anyone could dispel that myth and say that you have support and it's in a looks in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people and all the things Lauren just mentioned, use that support and get it done. And I guess the other thing I would add to that too, is that a dissertation doesn't need to just be the thing that gets you your PhD, that gets you this ivory tower job that just realistically isn't what people have previously envisioned it as if such a thing exists. Your dissertation can be something different. You, it can be you know, the point of pride that you finished it. It can be the next pay scale. It can be the launch of a personal brand when you publish it as a book for a general interest audience or a series of op-eds or blog posts. I think thinking of your dissertation as something that can take a different form than just the traditional academic document. Yeah, and something else we say is that your research is not your dissertation. And and so know that, yes, you have to finish this dissertation to get the degree, but then you have that research forever and it's still yours. And you can do with it whatever you want. And so just piggybacking on what Lauren said, so many people, the dissertation is just an excuse to have conducted this research that they can then use for launching new companies or moving in a different pay grade or to a new career shift, and that the research can be fulfilling in and of itself. And then the dissertation is just this little hurdle that you jump through. Write or research in, you know, in a strange place for you, whether that's taking the opportunity to travel while you can, you know, as Alan was talking about, or, you know, whether you just take advantage of the fact that you don't have campus responsibilities for part of the year, 
traveling somewhere you've always wanted to go or using the excuse of a conference, getting funding to go to a city you've always wanted to go to, or on a smaller scale, just working in the park, the coffee shop, the different place. Take advantage of the one of the sometimes few benefits of being in grad school of the flexibility to work exactly where you want to. Talk to a wide variety of postdocs, meaning look outside the ivory tower for mentorship and inspiration and start thinking about a wide variety of career options for yourself earlier than later. All right, guys, that was my conversation with Lauren and Alan. I hope you got a lot out of it. Be sure to check the description of this episode for links to their book, PH Done, as well as their website, dissertationeditor.com, where you can get in contact with them about dissertation services if you're interested. And additionally, if you are finishing your dissertation and you know that you don't want to stay in academia, but you know that you want to take your career somewhere, I encourage you to consider industry. Industry is where most PhDs end up taking their career anyway, even if they didn't plan to. And PhDs in industry report that they have better work-life balance, they have higher salaries, and more career satisfaction compared to PhDs who stay in academia. And if you're interested in starting your journey to an industry career, then I encourage you to download my six-week checklist that is also in the description of this episode. It is a free one-page PDF that walks you through each step that PhDs need to complete to be competitive on the industry market. And I believe you can do all of it in just six weeks and then be on your way to having your first industry job. Anyway, thank you all for listening and I will see you all next week.